This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Now, how many of you are like me and you suffer from allergies? Anybody else suffer from, oh my gosh, yeah, look around. It, it's, been, it's been horrible these last few weeks, hasn't it? The allergies have just been killing us. I was uh, outside a week ago yesterday helping a friend move. And between being outside packing boxes and in his dusty garage, I got home when my kids were going down for a nap and I literally could not stop sneezing. My nose was running. I went through a whole thing of uh, Kleenex. My eyes were watering. My throat was scratchy. And every time my wife opened the door, it was like something came in and I just, I couldn't stop. I could not, I could not get these allergies to quit. No matter what I did, I took the nose spray, the pills, the whole nine yards. Nothing seemed to help. Now, on top of that, what you have to know about last Saturday is last Saturday was a very special day for my daughter and I, because I promised my four-year-old daughter last Saturday that I would teach her how to ride my skateboard that I had when I was a kid. So she woke up from her nap and she said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm so excited to learn how to ride your skateboard. Let's put my helmet on, safety first. And I said, you know what, Maddie, I would love to teach you how to ride the skateboard, but Daddy can't go outside. Every time Daddy goes outside, my, my eyes start watering and my nose is running and I'm having these allergy attacks. And she said, oh, Daddy, I'm sorry, because she's a very compassionate child. She said, Daddy, I'm sorry. She said, that's okay. Mommy will teach me. And so <laughs> they did. My wife, Maria, who can't really ride a skateboard, taught my daughter, Maddie, how to ride a skateboard. And here's what I spent last Saturday doing, standing in our kitchen at our sliding glass door with the door locked, looking out at my, my wife teach my daughter how to ride a skateboard. And the whole time I couldn't stop thinking, I want to be out there. I had a plan to teach my daughter how to ride a skateboard. I had a vision that I was going to teach her something new, something she'd hold on to. So when people asked her, when did you become a world-class skateboarder? She could say it all started at age four when my daddy taught me how to ride a skateboard. I had a vision for what that day was going to be. And as I sat there inside my kitchen looking at the wall, I can tell you I felt, I felt trapped. I felt like there were outside extenuating circumstances that kept me trapped, that I could not be where I wanted to be. I could not do what I wanted to do, not because of anything I was doing, but I felt trapped by my allergies. And it was a horrible feeling. I actually went to bed that night, and in my dream, I had a dream that a tuberculosis outbreak had hit Petaluma. I had tuberculosis, and I was quarantined away from my whole family. This is how deep it went into my psyche. I'm not making this up. It really, it affected me. Now, it's it's one thing to feel trapped by our allergies and not be able to go outside, but have you ever felt trapped, not by your allergies, but trapped by life? Like you have a vision to go somewhere, you know where you want to be, you have an idea for it, and yet things around you, extenuating circumstances, things outside, feel like they are locking you in, trapping you in, and even though you can see where you want to go, you can't seem to get there because life is getting in the way. Have you ever felt that way in a relationship, either dating or marriage or family? Like you know where you want to be, you know where you want to go, and yet life seems to be trapping you. If you've ever felt that way, this series is for you. We are in week four of a series that I have absolutely loved called Future Family. And Future Family is going on this premise that every single one of us, no matter how old, no matter what stage of life, we have a vision for what we want our family to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. Some of us are married with young kids, and so we know specifically what we want that to look like in 10 years, in 15 years. 
Some of us in this room have kids that have come and they've grown and they're out and now we have grandkids. But I can tell you, if you have a grandchild, you still have a picture of what you want your grandkids to look like and your great-grandkids to look like. Whether it's hazy or not, we all have an idea of what we want because when we think about Christmas next year in two years, in five years, we have an idea of what we want that party to look like. We have an idea of what we want our family celebrations to look like. And my guess would be that your ideal for your family is not that everyone uh, is dysfunctional and fighting and someone's breaking a beer bottle and trying to stab Cousin Joe. I'm guessing that's not your picture. We all have an ideal family that we look to. If you're here and you're single, Uh, I'm guessing that you someday, if you are planning on getting married, you have a picture of what you want that marriage to look like. You have a picture of what you want your kids to look like. And if you're here and you aren't married and you don't plan to get married, you don't have kids and you don't plan to have kids, you're still an aunt, you're still an uncle, you still influence people around you, you're still a daughter, you're still a son. And because of that, we all, we all have the opportunity to impact our future family. And so we started off on week one, and Pastor Ron talked to us about a target. And he said, if you want to have a family that is going to be great in the future, you need to aim every single shot you take at the bullseye of the target, the center point, so that even if you miss the bullseye, you're still going to be on the larger target. And then the next week, I said, the foundation of a good future family is when each person in the family, when each member leverages their time, their power, their authority, their resources— for the good of every other member in the family. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called mutual submission. When we all choose to leverage ourselves for the sake of the other. And two weeks ago, I said, here's what I want you to do. For the next two weeks, ask this simple question. What can I do to help? How can I use me? How can I leverage my influence, my power to help you? I was talking to a mom earlier this week, and she said that they have a chores board in their kitchen, and she writes up chores each week for the kids to do. And on the top of it, she wrote, what can I do to help, in quotation marks, and then listed off all the chores. And at the bottom, she said, here's some ideas. She missed the center point, but at least she's on the target, okay? She has an idea of what she's hoping her family will do. And then last week, Ron talked to us about what the Bible calls reconciliation, uh, restoring relationships, forgiveness. And he said, here's what causes most of our fights. And it's not what we think, because we think you cause our fights. She causes our fights. He causes our fights. The kid causes our fights. But the Bible tells us that the thing that causes our fights, at least to some extent, is actually me. The problem with us is me, is that I want things I'm not getting. I have my expectations and they aren't being met. And so what do I do? I fight, I quarrel, I argue. And Ron gave us some tips on how we can move past that to a place of restoring relationships and reconciling so that we can be that family that doesn't have these these discords, these breaks that start off as small little fractures and then over time become huge valleys that we cannot cross. And tonight I want to talk about something that I think could be the key to helping free us from feeling trapped when we think about our future family. Because it's one thing to have allergies, to know I want to go outside and be with my kids and teach my daughter how to ride a skateboard. But it's another thing to have a vision for your marriage and say, this is what I want my marriage to be, but I feel trapped by outside circumstances. To say, this is what I want my kids to look like, but I feel trapped by outside circumstances. Because let's be honest, that's what the most of our our world does. That's what most families do. They say, we have a vision for our family. We have plans for our family. We know we want our family to look good and to do good and to keep up with whoever we're trying to keep up with at the time, but life gets in the way. External circumstances get in the way, and so the best we can hope for is a decent family. 
But God's not okay with us having a good family. God wants us to have a great family, and God can actually take us there. And here's how I know that. Because he's God. And if God says he can take us there, then he can take us there. So today, I want to hit on what I think is literally the greatest limiting factor to you and I having a great future family. And I want to do it by looking at a a character in the Old Testament. He's an incredible leader named Nehemiah. I told you last week, if you were here, that I've been uh, going through the book of Nehemiah. It's the small book in the Old Testament for about five weeks. And it's not because I'm a slow reader. It's because I'm taking everything I can from this guy because this man was an incredible leader. So I'm reading through this book and I'm taking all the leadership things. What did he do there? How did he interact with that person? How did he interact with the king? How did he interact with people who were below him? Because I want to be the best leader I can be for our church and for our family. And so I've been studying Nehemiah. And one of the things that struck me partway through was an incredible response he has when someone tries to trap him. So to understand Nehemiah's story, we have to go all the way back to the first book in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, God comes to a guy named Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to have a special relationship with you. And I want to make you into a great nation through your offspring. And I want to have a unique relationship with them. I want them to only worship me and serve me and love me. And I promise that they will be my people and I will guide them and I will lead them and I will protect them. And when I do that, the rest of the world around you that worships all these other gods, the rest of the world will see that there's one true God because of the way that I care for you. And the name of this nation was Israel. And so God did that. He protected Israel. He cared for them. He guided and led them. But he said one thing. He said, listen, Abraham, remind your family, if they ever walk away from me, if the nation ever turns from me and tries to do life on their own, I will withdraw my blessing and they'll be on their own and the world will see what it's like to live a life apart from God. And for a long time, the nation did what they were supposed to do. They followed God. God guided them. He protected them. But at some point in their history, they did exactly what God told them not to do. They turned away from God. They started doing life on their own. And God did what he promised. He withdrew his spirit. He withdrew his presence. He withdrew his protection. And the ruling power in the world at the time were the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came in, and when they realized God's protection was gone, they conquered the nation of Israel, and they hit them at their city center, at their religious center, which was a city called Jerusalem. And here's what they did. They destroyed the wall around Jerusalem because they knew if the wall's down, the people can't be protected. They sacked the city, they stole the gold, they stole the treasure, and they scattered the Israelites all over the ancient world. Well, a little while into that, a new superpower rose up, and it was Persia. The Persians conquered the Babylonians. They took over and they began to take these smaller nations like Israel and say, go back to your homeland and repopulate and restore your land. You're still going to be under Persian control, but you can at least go back and be a people again. And that's where we pick up our story because Nehemiah, this incredible leader, has risen to power and he is the cupbearer for the king of Persia. What you need to know about the cupbearer is basically this. He had the king's ear. He could talk to the king. The king trusted him. The king would listen to him. And so Nehemiah finds out that all these smaller nations are going back to their homelands. And he says to the king, King, can I take a leave of absence and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall? Because I know if I rebuild the wall, the people will feel safe. They'll come back in. They'll repopulate Jerusalem. They'll start worshiping God again, and we can get back on track. And the incredible thing is, the the king says yes. He says, go back, rebuild the wall. And so Nehemiah does. He goes back. He begins to rebuild the wall. 
And just like any great story and any great visionary, Nehemiah faces opposition. He's got these three guys who don't like the fact that he's rebuilding the wall because they rule the neighboring tribes and their tribes have been going into Jerusalem and conquering Jerusalem and taking their crops and taking their money. And so they want to fight Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a great leader. So here's what he does. And I love this. Nehemiah just doesn't go and say, you go fix that part of the wall. You go fix that part of the wall. You go fix that part of the wall. Nehemiah leads by example. So he grabs his ladder. He walks out to the wall. He climbs up his ladder and he says, I'm going to start rebuilding the wall. Join me as I do it. And that's where we pick up the story. Nehemiah is on top of his ladder. He's rebuilding the wall and the wall is almost complete. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that we had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach in it remained, although at the time I had not set up the doors and the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying this. They said, come down, come off the wall, get off your ladder, come and meet with us together on the plain of Ono. But I knew that they were planning to harm me, so I said, oh no, I will not go. I'm reading in the Dr. Seuss translation of the Bible. I knew they were planning to harm me. So this is what I said. I said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come to you? See, Nehemiah had a vision. His vision was to rebuild the wall, to repopulate Jerusalem, to have people start worshiping God again. He said, I'm doing a great and mighty work up here on my ladder. Why should I come down off the wall? Why should I get off my ladder to go and meet with you? Because when I do, the work is going to stop. And it says, they sent messengers four more times to me, asking me the same thing. And I answered them the same way. Nehemiah is an incredible visionary leader. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to leave Persia, go back to Jerusalem, and rebuild the wall. He had a vision. And Nehemiah had a plan. He secured the funds from the king to go back and do it. He secured the materials and he got the people. He said, your family goes and builds that part. Your family builds that part. Your family builds that part. I'm going to come with my people and we're going to build this part. And like any great story, he had enemies. And their goal was simply this. They wanted to get Nehemiah off track. They wanted to get him sidetracked from his vision. They wanted to get him off the wall to go talk. So initially they start attacking him and fighting him, but he fights back and the people win. So then they take a roundabout route. They come to him and they say, hey, come off the wall for a few minutes. Let's talk peace. Just come off the wall. You're the leader of your people. We're the leaders of our people. Come down off your ladder. Come down off the wall and just talk to us for a while. And for most people, they feel trapped, knowing that they didn't want to leave, but knowing as the leader, they should probably go down and talk peace. Listen, it could save lives. It could spare lives. But Nehemiah didn't feel trapped. Instead, he said to them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Friends, just like Nehemiah had a great vision for rebuilding the wall and a great plan, I want to tell you, you have a vision for your family. You know what your future family could look like. You know what your future marriage could look like. And you have a plan. And I want to tell you something that you need to hear and it needs to sink deep in. When it comes to our families, we need to realize that we are doing a great and mighty work. Your marriage is a great and mighty work. Do you realize, couples, that in your marriage, your job is to draw your partner closer to God every day of your life? To show them what it means to love and serve and care for God 
by the way that we love and serve and care for our spouse. We are doing a great and mighty work. Parents, do you realize that your family is a great and mighty work? Your job is to show your kids that God is real, that God loves them, and that God wants to have a relationship with them. That is a great and mighty work. Dads, before our kids ever set foot in a church, before they ever understand that God is their heavenly father, they look to us to understand what a father is supposed to be like. They look to us to see how a father loves, to see how a father serves, to see how a father forgives, to see what a father does when he's mad. Dads, we are doing a great and mighty work in introducing our kids to God. Parents, we do a great and mighty work because we're not just impacting ourselves. In theory, we should be impacting the families around us. They should look at us and say, what's different about you? And we say, we follow God, and God is changing our family dynamic. And then they come and they experience God, and God changes their lives. We are doing a great and mighty work. And parents, we are raising up the next generation of world changers and leaders and decision makers. We are doing a great and mighty work. And Nehemiah is a great leader because he had a vision for his job. He knew what he wanted to do. Come into Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, repopulate the city, and get the people worshiping God again. And I wonder if we've stopped to ask recently, do you know what your vision is for your family? I said earlier that we're all starting to kind of form a vision through the course of this series on what it looks like to have a good future family, a healthy future family. But if you actually stopped and written down, this is what I want my family to look like in five years. This is what I want my kids to say about me in 10 years. I can tell you some of my goals and some of my vision for my family. I want my family to grow closer to each other every year. I don't want us ever to have a year where we say we just kind of drifted apart this year. I want my family to grow closer to God every year. I want my kids to be able to say when they're 20 and 30, you know what, I've always known that God is real. And I never had a time where I walked away from him. I've always walked with God. That's my vision for my kids. I want my family to always know that dad puts them before work, which is tricky because my work is church. And so it kind of convolutes things a little bit. But I always want them. I don't want them to question. I want them to know that I put them before work. I want my wife to be able to stand up and say without a hesitation, I have a clearer picture of what God looks like by the way that Kevin lives his life. That's my vision for my family. Do you have a vision for your family? What is your vision for your family? If you don't have one, I want to challenge you this week. Go home and write a vision for your family. And I'm not just talking to those of us that have young kids. If you're a grandparent, I know you have a vision for what you want your grandkids' lives to look like and your great-grandkids' life to look like. You are not past the point of influence. You can influence them today. If you're here and you're single, this is probably the best time to write a vision, a vision for what you want your marriage to look like because that will impact who you date and how you date and how that relationship goes. A vision for what you want your kids to look like because that will impact who you date and how you date and how that relationship goes. Do you have a vision for your future family? If you don't, It's time to write one. And here's why it's so important. Just like Nehemiah had enemies, you and I have enemies to our future family. His enemies were direct. They were trying to fight him. They were trying to distract him. And our enemies are subtle. Our enemies actually aren't bad things. I think our enemies are really good things. The greatest enemy to our future family 
takes the form of good opportunities for our present family. The greatest enemy to having a great future family is being distracted by a lot of good opportunities in our present family. Because the biggest enemy you have to a great family at some point are good opportunities at this point. Here's how it plays out. Your boss calls you into his office and he says, you've been doing such a great job. I want to give you a promotion. That's a great opportunity. That's an opportunity that most of us are probably praying about right now. The boss would call me into his office, tell me, you're doing a great job. I want to give you a promotion. It probably means more money. It probably means more influence. It means more security for our families. Who doesn't want to have more uh, impact and authority and influence in their community? It's a great opportunity. But if you stop to ask yourself what a raise would mean, what a promotion would mean in terms of your time, how would that impact the time you have at home with your kids? How would it impact your stress level? So you get this new job, you get this promotion, and your stress goes through the roof. And now every time you're home, you're not really home because you're constantly thinking about work and you're stressed out. I have a twin brother, and I love this guy. He's just an absolutely incredible man. Uh, My twin brother called me up yesterday. He's an assistant principal in Southern California, and he's an assistant principal for a kindergarten through eighth grade school. So it's huge. His dream one day is to be a principal of a junior high. He loves junior high students. And he called me up and he said, Kevin, I'm pretty sure that in the next week I'm going to get offered a job to be the assistant principal for a junior high. I said, that's amazing. That's like what you've been dreaming about. That's a great next step. He said, I know. I'm really excited about it. He said, but the day after I found out that I was going to get offered that job, uh, my principal called me into her office And she's taking a job at the district office, and she's asked me to become the new principal for the kindergarten through eighth grade school. And that opportunity gives me like a $15,000 pay increase a year, and and I'm I'm the principal. I'm kind of like the man. It's kind of a big deal. I'd be like the youngest one in the district. I said, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to take the assistant principal job, and here's why. I, I I didn't goad him at all. I didn't push him at all. Here's what he said to me. He said, because I don't think my family could handle the stress that it would take for me to be the principal of the kindergarten through eighth grade school. So for the sake of my family, I'm going to take the junior high assistant principal job. To which I said, I'm preaching a sermon tomorrow. Can you drive to Northern California and preach it for me? (laughs) Because he gets it. He gets it. The great, the, the, one of the greatest traps and hindrances to his great future family is a really good opportunity to promotion now. I said earlier, one of my hopes is that my family would never question whether or not uh, I put them before work. I want them always to know that I put them before work. So two years ago, I made a a commitment to myself and I shared it with our staff team. I said, I'm never going to work more than 45 hours a week. That's going to kind of be my cap. There may be like one week a year where I just have to throw in a ton of extra time, but 45 hours is my cap. And those of you who work in the business world who are rising up, you're looking at me right now and you're saying, that's crazy. You don't have any drive. You don't have ambition. I can promise you, I have a lot of drive and a lot of ambition, and I have a lot of vision for what could be. But I know that my family has to know that they're most important to me, or they will end up resenting God and resenting the church because of the decisions I make. So now I have to say no to speaking engagements to really exciting meetings, to seminars, to conferences, to meetings with you guys to do counseling. Why? Because those are all really good opportunities, but I don't want them to get in the way of the great opportunity I have to have a future family that's drawn closer to God. Sometimes, sometimes good opportunities 
can pull us away from our great opportunity. And when good opportunities come up, sometimes we have to say, you know what? I'm doing a great and mighty work for my future family, and I can't come down even though it'd be a good promotion. Or how about the opportunity to get a new house or a new car? New houses and new cars are good things. I'm trying to buy a new house right now. I keep trying to buy one. They're fun. New cars are great. Better gas mileage. They have that really cool smell. They're safer. They stay clean for like a week. It's very exciting. They're shiny, and who doesn't like shiny? But have you ever stopped to ask yourself what the cost of that new car is or that new house is? Is it going to shrink your financial margin down to zero so that now you're completely stressed out about money and your kids feel it and your spouse feels it and you're fighting? Listen, a new car, a new house, it's a great opportunity, but sometimes for the sake of a great future family, we have to say no to good opportunities. We have to look at that new car. We have to look at that new house and say, you know what? It'd be great to have more bedrooms. It'd be great to get better gas mileage, but I'm doing a great and mighty work for my family, and I cannot be sidetracked. I cannot come down, even though this is a good opportunity. And I want to talk about sports for a second. Before I do, I I might not look it, but I love sports. And I was fairly athletic when I was younger. I I varsitied for five, cumulatively five years in high school in two different sports. I love sports. I love coaching sports. I love playing sports. I love sports. I'm excited to coach my daughter and my son as they get older. But I want to ask you, even though sports are a great opportunity, they build team dynamics. They teach us healthy competition. Uh, sports and teams are a great way for our kids to sit under other people's leadership. They're, they're great. Some of your kids are going to get scholarships. You, you all think that all your kids are going to get scholarships because of sports, and they're not. But some of them will. Some of them might, like 1%. So that's great for you, you, whoever you are. Good for you. It's probably going to be my kids, but that's another story. <laughs> sports are great. But have you ever stopped to ask what we communicate to our kids when every weekend we're out playing sports? When just because our kids are good enough to play on a club team, we put them on a club team, and now they're not just in Petaluma every weekend. Now they're playing, uh, practicing five nights a week, and they're doing tournaments all over the place. Here's what we're telling our kids. You know what? God is great, and we're going to go to church, and we're going to connect with God when we don't have anything else going on. When nothing else is going on, yes, God is good, and he's there. And guess what? If there's a tragedy, God will probably be there for us then because he's kind and he's nice. But when it comes to our everyday lives, the decisions that we make, the way we spend our time, uh, the way we use our talent, you know what? God doesn't have much to say about that. And here's how we tell our kids that, because we take them everywhere except for church. And then they grow up, and they have a nominal faith at best, and they don't engage with God, and they aren't using their time for God, and their talents for God, and their resources for God, and that athletic ability that God gave them, they don't use it to glorify God. And we look at them, and we wonder, how did our kids get so off track? I, I took them to church. It's because we communicated that God is just kind of an extra. And sports are a good thing. Sports are a good opportunity. But sometimes we have to look at good opportunities and say, if they're getting in the way of a great future family, we have to say, you know what? I'm doing a great and mighty work with my family, and I cannot come down. Sometimes we have to say, just because my kid is good enough to play club doesn't mean that they should play club. Every time we see an opportunity doesn't mean we have to take an opportunity. The reason why opportunities are the biggest trap in our society is because there are so many of them. And if we aren't strategic about what we say yes to and what we say no to for the sake of our future family, our kids will get distracted, we will get distracted, and everyone will start doing their own thing and we'll look at our family in 20 years and say, how did we get here? 
And by the way, I want to tell you something. When your kids get to be my age, when they get to be 32 and they're 15 years out of high school, if the best they can say is my best years of life were high school because I was the football star and I was the soccer star and I was the cheerleading captain or whatever, if that's the best they can say, we have a word for those kind of people. We call them losers, right? Okay, when someone looks back 15 years later and said, high school sports were the apex of my life, I'm sorry, but you're kind of a loser. But if your grown child looks back and says, when I was in junior high, when I was in high school, I encountered the living God and it changed my life and it changed the way that I look at work and the way that I look at family. It changed the way that I date people. It changed the person I marry. We would look at our son and we would look at our daughter at age 32 and say, that's a win. That's what I want. I'm not saying we should say no to sports. I I like sports. But sometimes good opportunities get in the way of a great future family. And sometimes, just like Nehemiah, we have to say, you know what? I'm sitting up on this ladder because I have a vision for my family. And even though that good opportunity comes up for me, for my kids, for a new house, for a new car, for a new job, even though it's a good opportunity, why should I come down for that? Sometimes we need to look at the opportunity and say, I am doing a great and mighty work up here on this ladder. I'm doing a great and mighty work with my family, and I cannot come down, even though you're a good opportunity. So here's the key to not getting trapped by by good opportunities. Run every opportunity through the filter of your vision for your future family. That's why the vision we have for our family is so important. Run it through every opportunity, every opportunity through that vision. Just because an opportunity presents itself doesn't mean you have to take it. We live in a culture that says more is better, so more opportunities are better opportunities. Just because a good opportunity comes up does not mean we have to take it. We are doing a great and mighty work for our kids, and sometimes we cannot come down even for really good opportunities. Nehemiah had a vision. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild the wall. So he climbed up on his ladder. He started rebuilding the wall. And when enemies came to his vision, he said, I'm doing a great and mighty work and I cannot come down. Imagine what your life would look like on a daily basis if you and I had the same resolve. Would we be saying yes to things that we're currently saying no to? Would we be saying no to things that we're currently saying yes to? Here's something I know for sure. If we had the same resolve as Nehemiah, our lives would look drastically different than the lives of the families that we rub shoulders with out in our city. And you know what? That's okay. Because in 20 years, our lives and our families are going to be different than the majority of the families we see. And they may have good families, but God wants for us a great family. And in the end, it's okay to say no. Friends, you and I are doing a great and mighty work. Your marriage is a great and mighty work. Your future marriage is a great and mighty work. Your parenting, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, that is a great and mighty work. And sometimes for the sake of that great work, we have to say no to good opportunities. So here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to spend some time this week thinking about our vision for our family. If you don't have a vision written out for your family, I want to encourage you to take time this week to do it. So grab those Connect cards, and I've got ways for you to respond on there, because what we have now is we just got information. What I'm going to challenge us to do is called application, putting it into practice, because I believe that information, what comes in, plus application, what goes out, combined with God's presence, leads to transformation in our lives. So I want to give you some ways to apply this. The first is, take time this week to write out your vision 
for your family. And here's why I say this week, because next week we have what I think is going to be one of the best Sundays we've ever had at New Life. Pastor Ron and and his wife Monica are going to come up here and they're going to basically take their experience of life and they're going to pour that into our lives. The way they raised their kids, because they had a countercultural vision of how to raise their kids. They had a picture of their future family. And you know what? They have gotten there. Their kids love them. Their kids love God. Their kids love their spouses. Their grandkids love them and love God. But I can tell you this, when they were raising their kids, they had people criticize them and critique them for the way they did it. People outside of the church and people inside of the church. And if we don't know what the vision is for our family, my fear is this. Ron and Monica would get up here and they'd start sharing their story and you and I would look at them and we'd say, well, that's the pastor and his wife. Of course they had to raise their kids that way. But I can tell you this, I know a lot of pastors who haven't raised their kids that way. I know a lot of pastors whose families are broken and hurting, and I don't want that for us. And if we have a vision for our family, maybe when Ron and Monica get up here to share, we'll say, I want to do that with my family. And it will spark something in this that changes us. So, so take time this week to write out your vision. Just do bullet points. I want my kids to say this about me. I want my family to look this way. Just write out bullet points. Talk to your spouse. Write out some bullet points. Begin running every opportunity through the filter of your vision for your family. And then I want to encourage everybody to memorize Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, which simply says this, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Uh, In a few minutes, the baskets are going to be passed. The first one will be for your connect cards. The second one will be a basket that has a memory verse card in it. I want you to grab one of those and take it with you and put it somewhere so that every time you have an opportunity, you can look at that and you can remember. Listen, it's not hard to memorize a Bible verse. If you can memorize a Taylor Swift song, you can memorize a Bible verse. You can do it. You can do it. I said earlier that I think Nehemiah is a great leader. But I'll tell you this. I think the greatest leader in the history of the world is Jesus Christ, who's also found in the pages of the Bible. Jesus had a vision. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew that the world was separated from God because of their sin. And he had a vision to restore the world back to God. So Jesus came down to the earth and he lived a perfect life. And, and people, while he was living and teaching and doing all these things, they always tried to pull his attention away. They tried to make him king. They tried to get him to do other things. But Jesus knew he had a great and mighty work. And he wouldn't turn to good opportunities because he knew what he had to do. And his great and mighty work took him all the way to a cross where the Bible says that he spread his arms out and was nailed to it. And when he was nailed to the cross, he took on himself our sin, the sin of the world, so that we could be forgiven. And it says that while he was up there, people shouted insults at him. And they said to him this, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are the king of the Jews, bring yourself down off the cross and prove it to us. But Jesus knew that he was doing a great and mighty work and that he could not come down. And so he stayed on the cross. And because he stayed on the cross, we can experience our sins being forgiven and having a relationship with God. Because he stayed on the cross, he has taken down every barrier that we could ever have to a relationship with God. And if you're here tonight and you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, where you've experienced him forgiving you of your sins and filling you with his spirit and drawing you to himself, tonight could be a game changer for you. Could Today could be the day that you say yes to him and enter into a relationship with God. He's done all the work. Now it's time for you to respond. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I do, uh, I want you to, if you sense God calling you to himself, you sense God calling you to himself, to repeat a simple prayer after me. It's a prayer of commitment 
that says, yes, God, I want to have a relationship with you. And then not yet, but in just a few minutes, uh, I'm going to lead us through some stuff, and then we'll pass some baskets a little bit later on after that. But for now, would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you so much that you have given us a vision or that you're forming in us a vision of what you want our future families to look like. Not just good families, but great families, God. Would you help us to look at every opportunity through the filter of our vision for our family? And if things don't line up, would you help us to say, you know what, I'm doing a great and mighty work and I cannot come down for that opportunity. As we continue to pray, if you're here tonight and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you've experienced him forgiving you of your sins and drawing you back to God and filling you with his spirit, today could be the day for you. God has done everything. He's made a way for you to come back to him, to enter into a relationship with him. And if you sense God calling you to himself, drawing you to himself right now, you can repeat a simple prayer of commitment right after me. And you can say this, if you sense God calling you, just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you came to earth and lived a perfect life and died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I say, yes, God. Yes, I want the forgiveness that you're offering. Yes, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come, Lord, and would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you draw me back into relationship with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.